Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is Carl Franklin. And this is Richard Campbell. And oh my God, it's December 6th. <laughs> sort of. Kind of. Maybe. <laughs> Except it's Halloween where we are it's in Halloween. time. Yeah. Well, just getting all the shows blocked out so that we can travel in November and there'll be some great shows coming from that. And yeah. one of those shows will be the giveaway. That's right. It's December. Yeah. So I'm excited. It's coming up. It is. Definitely. Maybe we'll record the giveaway show in Prague. Oh, uh, maybe we could, or I was thinking maybe doing one like last week of November that we'll insert. Like there's options there. We'll have to figure it okay, out. Okay, cool. Do you remember when we used to do like Halloween specials on .NET Rocks? I do remember. We used to be goofier than we are now. What happened to those goofy people? Uh, well, the funny part is the goofy people still exist. It's just <laughs> that we don't record it anymore. That's all. <laughs> yeah, that's right. If you guys had seen... The <laughs> no, better no framework that uh, I gave up just no, in the name of don't, decency. Don't talk about it. That's not. <laughs> there's nothing good about that. It's horrible. Everything is horrible. It was horrible. Uh, I am, uh, I'm appalled. It's kind of cool, but it's horrible. All right, <laughs> it's that's horrible. enough of that. <laughs> Roll the music for a very uh, well sanitized better no framework. All right. <laughs> All right, dude. What sanitary thing do you have for us? <laughs> it's Dive. What is Dive? Dive is a text-based tool for exploring Docker images. You can go layer by layer, and it also helps you discover ways to shrink the image size. Oh, interesting. Okay. That's very sanitary. So I'm looking at this, and yeah, the uh, the animated little GIF they've embedded in the, the explanation is awesome. Like, the, what a right. great idea. That you can you can see right away. Ah, I see what this is doing. It looks it looks very eighty by twenty five. The all command line you know, yeah. UI to it, and it kind of reminds me of those IT text tools that you use to discover what where the biggest files are on your hard right. drive. File Commander back in there, System Commander back in the day. Right. Totally. Yep. But now it's exploring containers. This is awesome. It is awesome. Good neat find, dude. Yeah, and I think everybody should check it out. It's at github.com slash wagoodman slash dive or 1604.pwop.me. Awesome. Yeah. Love it. So uh, who's talking to us today, Richard? Grabbed a comment off a show 1487, which you did back in October 2017. Talking about Git source control for everyone with Dimitri Allen and our own Ed Thompson. Yep. Back again. And you know, that was what was fun about talking about that is we talked about Git without talking about GitHub, right? Yeah. The Git repository technology. One of the conversations in that was talking about the contributions that Microsoft made to the Git technology to be able to support the Windows source code. That's which right. Three hundred gigabytes. Yeah, crazy big. Yeah. And uh, so that was really a fun conversation. But we, at one point or another, we're talking about migrating through different source control technologies and how difficult that actually is. Right. That for the most part, you tend to leave the old Git repository or the old source control repository where it is, migrate the project and just continue on. Right. Uh, but Greg Soul disagrees. He says, migrate your history. I look back frequently and having all in one file history view that Git supports so well and the use of blame is invaluable. Migrating history is not too hard. And uh, there was actually some conversation with other folks in there where they're saying, you know, it depends on where you're coming from. Some tools migrate better than other tools. Like it's just not, it's not that simple. And what you bring across is questionable. And more importantly, history shouldn't hold up moving ahead with the new source control. So right. that's the sort of the battle back and forth on that. But yeah, it totally depends on where you're coming from. Your, your mileage may vary. But Greg, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Music to Code by is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Music to Code by, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or via any of our social media. Well, only one of our social media because we only publish every show twice a week to Facebook. And if you comment there and we read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Music to Code by. And definitely follow us on Twitter. He's at Rich Campbell. I'm at Carl Franklin. Send us a tweet. We explore them layer by layer by layer. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. Okay. Uh, we have two guests today, Edward Thompson mm. and Jill Campbell, and uh, both from Microsoft, and let me introduce them to you now. Edward Thompson is a program manager for Azure DevOps, where he helps software teams manage their source code with Git and deliver it with Azure Pipelines. In his copious spare time, he hosts All Things Git, the podcast about Git, and hacks on several open source projects. Jill Campbell is also here 
and she is a GPM in the Windows Engineering Systems team, managing the Engineering Lifecycle team. Her team oversees the largest VSTS account in the world, an enterprise-scale media wiki instance cataloging all of the Windows documentation and knowledge and building experimentation and listening pipelines to better understand the engineers in Windows and what they need to be successful. Welcome back, Ed, and welcome for the first time, Jill. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that Windows repository is enormous, isn't it? It's a little bit big, yep. <laughs> is, is that why you have the large, largest VSTS account in the world? Because you're dealing with this enormous pile of source code? Yeah, it is. We have both the most users, and I think it's Azure DevOps now, Okay. Um, the most users of our account, 33,000 monthly active users in our account, Wow. and then producing Zoinks. the most source code. And I think we also have the record for the largest number of work items in the system, because we have 11 million in our system. <laughs> oh my. So we are tenfold the size of our nearest competitor. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking about the burn down chart. That's <laughs> a big graph. <laughs> you must be able to see that just like going down in real time. And you know what's funny? We had to build our own custom burndown widget because our scale was so much larger than what the in-place boards could do with burndown. I can't imagine why. Why wouldn't they anticipate that? <laughs> what? 11 million? Doesn't everybody have 11 million work items? You know, sometimes I feel bad about that. I highly that. recommend it. <laughs> and the Azure DevOps account is the enterprise scale media wiki. What is that? You know, we uh, we ran into a challenge, as you might imagine, um, around documentation and sharing knowledge amongst our engineers. Yeah. And so in addition to running the largest Azure DevOps account in the world, we also run an enterprise scale version of MediaWiki for our internal users to share and document everything from culture to process to acronyms to what initials mean uh, through to all of our code documentation. So that is how we have solved the 33,000 people who all need to know information on the same parts of Windows, uh, being able to collaborate and communicate through MediaWiki on their, on their tools and documentation. All right. So where does GitHub come into all of this? Because, uh, Ed, you, you were talking about Git last time, and this is on Azure DevOps, uh, which was VSTS. Should we say Knee? Knee VSTS. And uh, so where does GitHub come in? So the interesting thing about Windows to me is that we moved, we, I say we, um, the Azure DevOps team and the, the Windows team got together to bring their entire source code into, into Git. Right. So we oh. talked about that last time, all the, right. the crazy amounts of, of technology that had to be built to, to enable that. Cause, you know, hundreds of gigabytes of, of source code. And so right now that lives in Azure repos, which, yeah, formerly Visual Studio Team Services. So it's in a Git account in, uh, in Azure repos. And the interesting thing about that is, you know, around Microsoft, we use, two different Git hosting providers. Mm. We use GitHub for our open source projects like .NET Framework and Roslyn and, you know, ASP.NET. They're all on GitHub because that's really where the, the open source community lives. Um, our closed source projects like, well, like Azure DevOps itself and like the Windows repository, those all live in Azure repos uh, because we don't do the collaboration with the community. So, that's really where we're able to scale up those enterprise scale repositories. Um, cause quite honestly, it, you couldn't push the, the Windows repository to GitHub. It would, you know, you'd push for a little while and then it would just hang up on you, right? Yeah. It's just too big. So, um, now after the GitHub acquisition, now things get a little bit more, more interesting. Will, will GitHub support GVFS and all these technologies that we had to build to, um, to support Windows and to enable that size repository, I, I don't know. Yeah. The, as of the time of this recording, the acquisition's only a couple of days old, so um, so it's going to be interesting to find out what happens there. I would imagine that at some point it's faster to FedEx a disk to the GitHub servers <laughs> than it would be to try to sync up. That is very high bandwidth. Yeah, yeah I bet high latency though. 
don't click rebase. Just saying. <laughs> They're actually sending carrier pigeons with the code now. <laughs> found it's quite effective and fast <laughs> and you know at the end of the day you got a pigeon so it could be delicious oh, <laughs> I, I was working with a company that had a data center in uh tokyo after the fukushima disaster and wanted and they were transferring their it was actually an exchange server data but it was massive it was terabytes and they were shuttling it to their southern center in okinawa and i'm like guys i can go buy a hard drive at best buy fly to Japan, <laughs> copy it onto the drive, fly to Okinawa, and and install it in less time that that's going to transmit. Terabytes are a lot. It's really crazy how, how bandwidth has defined our lives and put constraints on our lives, like real in the physical world. Like, this is just electrons. Yeah. And yet... It's a lot of electrons. It has an impact in the physical world that that is just real. I mean, I've heard about the 300 gigabyte thing before, but the 33,000 people thing, like, that's a hell of a scrum meeting. <laughs> that standard goes on for a long time. Yeah, I bet that's a lot of standing up. It's like a stadium worth of standing up. All right. We've gee whizzed for long enough. I'm sure you guys have more to talk about than, wow, yeah, that's bandwidth. So, Jill, you mentioned building a custom burndown chart for your 11 million work items. I got to think there's some other bits of code you needed to build to have the Windows source control work. Just a couple. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we, we on our, you know, the Windows engineering systems team, a lot of what we've been doing is partnering with the Azure DevOps team on where are the things that we want to co-develop things mm -hmm. we want in the code of Azure DevOps that go to every customer. And where are the things where we're just pushing the boundaries of what this was even envisioned to do to your point of, you know, how do you have 33,000 people in a scrum meeting? Right. Um, and so we have built our own extensions that work for us and that now we're putting on GitHub's open source so that folks can take them and use them if they're applicable to their scenarios and putting them on the Azure DevOps marketplace so that customers who have a similar need at a similar scale can take them for free and use them to run their business. We've done a lot of our focus on things that are about working at scale. So I mentioned the burn down. The burn down is a great example of where, you know, the boards work amazing for teams of a certain size. When you have a team of 500 or 1,000, which is not unusual for us to have a team of 500 or 1,000, mm -hmm. then you need slightly higher level optics into what's going on and the board becomes unmanageable with kind of current pace and port. So what we've done is built a series of extensions that help you manage the work at scale because uh, we're big believers in making sure that the work items travel with the code so we can tell a coherent story about to our customers about what we've built. And so we have things that allow the teams to track their work month to month at scale. So at a 500-person team level, you can see all of the different work that got completed in a month, moved out, what's on the backlog, et cetera. Um, we've built a way to see that at a release level. So across n period of time, you know, for every group in Windows, it's slightly different. But for the core OS, that's a six-month time frame. So we have, we call them the trackers, a tracker that will look across those six months across time and tell you how things are coming together. So think of that as a, you know, EVP level burndown chart. Um, and then a big thing we care about in Windows, you've got 33,000 people have access to our account and use it. You have about 11,000 that are the core team that is horse trading, that is trading work amongst the teams. Um, and so we've built a whole set of tooling around how folks can manage the dependencies that they need from each other, the code that one team needs to make their scenario light up that they need from another team. And then we offer visibility into that set of work items uniquely so that teams can track the things that are going to manifest in their schedule on whether or not they can move forward without them. And then to the point you raised earlier, like we have a whole bunch of either widgets or things we've done with pull requests that just help manage ownership areas filed at the scale of 1,500 person teams and an 11,000 person user base in Windows. 
I love your thoughts there on you just don't want to put everything, all of this into Azure DevOps. Some of this is exceptional for your particular problem space rather than anyone else's. I mean, are you running into customers that need this scale? You know, it's been fascinating to me to see that there are absolutely uh, customers that don't, right? Mm -hmm. There are shops where the built-in tools are exactly what they need. Mm -hmm. But it is interesting when Ed and I go out on the road and talk about, you know, Windows transformation and Windows usage of Azure DevOps, how many large enterprise customers are running into the very same, you know, knowledge at scale problem that we've been running into. And it's, you know, it always comes in the form of, we love the tool. The tool is really helpful. The tool helps us do the scenarios we want. We just want to be able to see it at scale, be able to see what's going on under the covers, be able to track it across larger groups. Um, and, and one of the things that's interesting to me is it is this threshold of, um, I always make this joke to, to Ed that we had a customer come up to us who said, boy, I'm really worried. I, I love the Azure DevOps solution, but I'm really worried because, you know, my department is 500 people and I might scale this out to 1,000 people. And, you know, I'm looking at Ed going, yeah, you know, I, I think we can manage that scale. Yeah. Um, and it's, I think it, it offers a helpful testimonial of it's not for everybody. There are absolutely teams and groups where that is not that's not the size they're operating at, and that's not the way they want to use the tool. But for teams that want to do cross-connected, even cross-company work at a slightly higher scale with slightly larger numbers of users, these are incredibly helpful add-ons that help you know, manage the work at scale, manage the pull requests at scale, manage files at scale, manage area paths at scale, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's the whole at scale thing that, that we're not used to dealing with. And us too, to be honest with you. On the Azure DevOps team, we want to build Azure DevOps for the common customer, where the common customer has, you know, 500 people in their, in right. their item tracking system or five. Um, 33,000 is a little bit beyond what we typically plan for. So, um, so yeah, that, that's not something we want to really put in the box per se. Um, and that's why we have this, you know, really nice extension ecosystem. And so, so people like Jill can come along and, and plug that gap for the, for the people that need it. Absolutely. And Ed and Jill, I'm going to interrupt you for one moment for this very important message. Hey, Carl here. If you enjoy music to code by, you or someone you know might be interested in the app, which I've generically branded music to flow by. See what I did there? <laughs> it's a subscription model. And if you bought the complete collection of Music to Code by before October 24th, 2017, you are eligible to win a free six-month subscription. With that, you get access to all the tracks on your phone with offline support. You get continuous play and even a sleep timer. Download Music to Flow by in your app store and flow on. And we're back. It's Richard Campbell and Carl Franklin talking to Ed Thompson and Jill Campbell. And we're talking about... The source control of Windows rather than for Windows <laughs> just is that high watermark that gives us some confidence that Azure DevOps can can handle whatever you want to throw at it. Can we talk about the specific widgets, Jill? You know, what are the bits that people can and where are they? Are, they, are these all in GitHub in the in the Microsoft repository somewhere? Yeah, so I can share out links so you can post them with the show notes. We have a series of tools that we've put on GitHub. One that does work item management uh, so that you can migrate work items across accounts. Uh, We did that because we needed to archive our account. As you might imagine, 11 million work items sitting around in in an account is never going to be a healthy, good thing. So we needed a way to keep that from growing unbounded um, and kind of keep it at a steady state where we can manage it. Uh, So we partnered with the Azure DevOps team to create a work item migrator. That code is on GitHub, available as an open project. Um, We did another one on customizing, we call it one-click uh, one click widths, and that allows you to set smart personal defaults. Because again, when you're dealing with 11,000 people who are like in the grist every day going in and updating work items and items, uh, 
I'm never going to get the defaults right for all of those folks. And I'm never going to have the right settings for everybody. And I'm never going to know everybody's unique workflow. So we built a tool where you can define your own sets of workflows, hit a button, and it'll fill in the form for you. Nice. Work item management a lot faster. I love it. And I'm, and I'm a good searcher. So I pulled up the work item migrator out of the Microsoft repository. The other one I already had in my pocket that I think we talked about last time, Ed, too, was the uh, virtual file system for Git. Just that, you know, so you have 300 gigs with a source control. Maybe the regular <laughs> file system's not going to be quite right. <laughs> and yeah, and actually, since the last time you had me on, um, we've actually changed the name. It's now the virtual file system for Git. It used to be right. called GVFS, Git Virtual File System. Uh, it turns out there's another GVFS called the Uh-oh. GNOME Virtual File System. Uh, and that's what happens when you let engineers name things. Uh, so it's now Virtual File System for Git. And actually, we've moved all of the development. It used to be open sourced in that kind of not very good way where we'd write a little code and then throw it on GitHub and then write a little bit more code and then update the repo on GitHub. We've actually moved to... Uh, do all the development out in the open. So actually right. the team's working on GitHub now, developing the next version of that. It's not an open source project, though. I mean, it's uh, you don't have contributions to Windows from GitHub users, do you? Uh, it, so it's an open source project in the sense that, you know, it's all out in the open and it's under an open source license. We do not have a lot of contributions coming from the community just yet. I think some people are looking at um, Linux support Mm-hmm. But uh, the majority of people working on that project are Microsoft engineers. Do you mean native, running native Linux in, under Windows? I mean uh, having GBFS running within a, a, an actual Linux machine. Oh, so, oh, 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 yeah. Yeah, because right now it's totally Windows, and the next version will add Mac support. Mm. So uh, Linux is still something that's a, a little ways off. Right. I imagine there must be some interest there. Um, what's the? Do you guys know the second? largest repository on github whoa is it anywhere close to windows uh i no it couldn't possibly be yeah it couldn't be i say that only because the amount of engineering that we had to put into git and into the virtual file system for git to enable windows and that was you know something that that would have happened at about i don't know 20 percent of the size of the windows repo so it, it couldn't even be close. And I apologize. It's not, Windows is not on GitHub. It's it's using Git, but it's not on GitHub, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, these then then we're not public, right? These are private repositories, just like anything else, right? There's there's plenty of big software out there. Like Exchange is no slouch. Like that's a <laughs> that's not a small app. SQL that's Server right. is not a small app either. It's just I presume they're all using Git. They, so some of them are, some of them aren't. So Office is really the next big one that we're looking at. And that's sure. why we're investing in um, adding Mac support to the virtual file system for Git because Office has a Mac client, right? I'm, right. I'm actually staring at, at Word and Outlook on my Mac right now. And so they need to be able to bring all of their source code into Git um, for both windows and mac so that's why vfs for git is going to start targeting mac and so for now office is still in source depot primarily so Mm -hmm. we're working on that as fast as as we can because we want to get them into git is that all that's left in source depot i mean source depot is your microsoft's custom built source repository that is old as the hills as i understand it it is not recent it's true (laughs) but what's left (laughs) in it is it just office Office, I don't, so I, I don't know. I know Bing has moved over to Git. Uh, I would have to go through an audit, like yeah. really to, to look at what everybody's using. Cause everybody's using a little bit of Azure DevOps, right? So like even the .NET teams that are working in open source on GitHub are using some Azure DevOps to do planning, you know, so they're using Azure boards or whatever. Um, they're using Azure pipelines for build, stuff like that. Uh, but I don't know exactly who might still be left in Source Depot, because Office is using Azure DevOps for their planning, but still using Source Depot for their code. I so I'd really have to look, but no, it's not. It's not very many people, as far as as far as I know. We, I mean, we have the distinct advantage of having done this show since 2002. Well, okay, I'm the new guy. I started in 2005, 
But I remember having a conversation in 2008 about a push internal to Microsoft to move to Visual Studio, to just start using Visual Studio and what was then Team Foundation Server for some teams. And I, I feel like what we're actually talking about is the end of that push 10 years later. It only took 10 years. Only we 10 moved years. Only 10 years. <laughs> no, I think you're exactly right. And it was not a compelling push uh, in 2005 if you were the Windows team, if you were the Office team, because you were in Source Depot and you were in, right. you know, a Product Studio and all these internal Microsoft tools. And Team Foundation Server was the next idea, the next version of that, if you will. Team Foundation version control was a centralized version control system that was made to look exactly like Source Depot. So if you're Windows, we did that so that we could bring Windows and Office in. But if you're Windows and Office, you're like, well, if it's the same, why would I move? And they didn't. Um, so it really right. did take until Git and Git's dominance in the industry before before these teams were were ready to move. At least that's my take on it. I would love to know Jill's take coming yeah. from the, the the other side of it from me. You know, I think one of the things that Ed and I talk about a lot is how it, the tooling was in some ways the hardest, but also the easiest thing to change. People were excited about Git. They were excited about, you know, we have so many new hires who like came in knowing Git. And so right. having to go back and learn a new source control system that felt old and felt outdated was something that our, our new hires and our college hires were excited about. The thing that we really needed to push us over the finish line was for there to be a culture change. And so, you know, one of the things that Ed talks about frequently is how the end of the day, the thing that really pushed us over the finish line and got that 10-year journey to happen much quicker in the last three years was Sacha coming in and saying, hey, everybody building their own solutions to the exact same problem and not leveraging each other's ideas on how to make this work at scale, how to make this work for our company, how to make this work for our different needs is silly and wasteful and siloed and not the culture we aspire to. And so we, I think we benefited from an excitement from what was going on in the industry, a desire to get more modern in our tooling, but also a, a mandate to say we have to adopt a new set of process and a new set of cultural attributes to make us more successful in the long run. And for me, that was the real accelerant for everyone. Because when, when we rolled out Git, one of the things that uh, my peers talk about is the campaign we did, uh, where we aligned it to the stages of grief, like the five stages of adopting <laughs> Git. But we were worried <laughs> that people I'm in would denial you know, right first, now. they'd mourn the loss of Source Depot, <laughs> then they'd get frustrated and angry, um, and then eventually they would accept it. And, and we actually had folks in the building, um, you know, modify, graffiti the posters with a face that was cautiously optimistic about, <laughs> about because people wanted to be working the way, you know, the way other companies work. They wanted to be leveraging the fact that new hires came in. It's like, oh yeah, this is Git. I know Git. Um, but I think it was really that one-two punch of the excitement from the industry, excitement from the, the developers who were going to have to be working in this and a message from Sacha and all of the rest of Windows leadership saying, like, this is not who we want to be. We want to be a team and a company that takes advantage of the intelligence across all the different parts of right. the company. Now, it sounds like part of that one Microsoft message. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Guess what time it is now? Uh, it must be that happy time again. Yeah, it's time for an observation. There is absolutely no relationship between the hilarity factor of a joke and how many bits it takes up. <laughs> That's right. You can say absolutely nothing and still not be funny. <laughs> Case in point. It's actually time to give away a $200 Amazon gift card, compliments of Progress Telerik, to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But first... Let me tell you about the most comprehensive developer toolkit for building modern apps on the market today, Telerik DevCraft. With more than 1,100 Telerik.net and Kendo UI JavaScript components and controls, you can easily build modern, high-performant web, mobile, and desktop apps, as well as chatbots. 
The tool set also includes reporting solutions, automated testing, and productivity tools, and comes with a range of support options. New this year is a free online training program for all license holders. With this, alongside thousands of demos with source code, comprehensive docs, and a full assortment of Visual Studio templates, you'll be up and running with the Progress Telerik and Kendo UI tools in no time. Download a free 30-day trial today at Telerik.com download, and also consider supporting .NET Rocks by making a monthly pledge at Patreon.NETROCKS.COM. Well, all right, buddy. Who's our winner? Today's winner is Joshua Strubele, and I hope I didn't mispronounce your name, Joshua, but you'll get the golf email. Golf clap for you. Yeah, golf clap for you. And Joshua just won a $200 Amazon gift card from Progress Telerik just for being a member of the .NET Rocks fan club. And if you'd like to be a member, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and you're in the fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world, and every show we like to give away stuff from our sponsors. And every December, we give away a $5,000 technology shopping spree to one lucky member of the fan club. But you got to sign up if you want to win. And it's not this show, but it is coming up pretty soon. It's close. Very close. Yeah. And we also like to ask our guests, Edward, we'll start with you. If you had $5,000 to spend on technology right now, what would you buy? I would not buy right now is technology. Um, so I started my career like as a Unix sysadmin and I used all these crazy machines like, I don't know, that don't exist anymore, like a Next Station or a Spark Station. Oh, yeah. I would buy all of those machines and hoard them. And you know, there's somebody <laughs> out there who's done this, uh, Sophie Haskins, and she posts on Twitter like unboxing photos of every new crazy old workstation that she, she acquires. Uh, I would do that. That's a great idea. That's good fun. I mean, other than you, it's going to, you're going to end up divorced. It's such a plan. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Thankfully, I'll, I, I don't have $5,000 to, to get divorced with. So yeah, not yet. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, to, you know, we've done this giveaway several times now and pretty consistently, as much as we explore these cool things and possibilities, folks tend to get a new dev machine in one form or another. Maybe it's a laptop, maybe it's a desktop, maybe it's oriented on mobile development, maybe it's oriented on, I think, connect development one time. Uh, but to just go out and spend it on old hardware. And I, and I found Sophie Haskins' Twitter ca- account where she's like grabbed herself a PDP 11 and a PDP 8. Mm-hmm. And, like you're going to spend more on shipping costs for these than the cost <laughs> of the gear. <laughs> yeah. True. Yeah. You know, there was one time back in the early days of .NET Rocks where a friend of mine took an old AS400 and made a refrigerator out of it. Oh. That's where the beer went. That's nice. So it went from the thing that radiated heat to the thing that <laughs> kept heat. There you go. It was pretty easy. You just put some insulation in a, in a you know refrigeration unit on the back, yeah. and it wasn't very airtight, but, <clears throat> you know, kept the beer cold. I like anything in my office that just makes me grin when I see it, right? Exactly. It's a a good day. Awesome. How about you, Jill? What would you spend $5,000 on? Uh, You know, I'm not nearly as interesting as Ed. (laughs) I would spend it on a studio because I have a background in art and art history. And I have, uh, I just love the idea of sitting down and doing proper illustrations on it. Uh, So the studio is probably where I would spend it. Very good. Very good. Good stuff. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, oils, acrylics, other media? I c- Collage, mostly. Collage and uh, a bit of sculpture. Wow, very good. I don't know this from you know experience. I, I took some art classes when I was young and uh, grew up with a, a, a mother who was very much into instilling culture into my brother and I in the terms of going to museums and uh, taking us to operas and classical concerts and things. And my daughter has uh, become quite the artist, ended up going to RISD, and um, she's done some great sculpture. So I totally know, I get the whole, I have to go to the studio today and make something. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I totally get that. That tends to be music for you, right? I always get a good link when you're in that mood. It's like, hey, listen to this. Yeah, it's pretty soon. I'll get back yeah. to that pretty soon. Always another one. I want to dive back into this. And actually, if you don't mind, Jill, digging into a couple of these tools. I got all the links now, and I'll add them into the show notes. 
The work item migrator. I mean, it doesn't sound like that hard of a problem. What's hard here? We're just moving so many work items? You know, it's both moving so many and just the fact that there wasn't any need for it to exist until we had 5 million we needed to move off of our books from one account to another. Wow. Um, And so it's this interesting thing where it's a obvious problem to solve once you have it. (laughs) It is not an obvious problem to pre-solve when you're building the tool, right? right? Because I don't think anybody... Ed can keep me honest on this. I don't think anybody envisioned getting to a place where, you know, we were in a, when we built that tool with Azure DevOps, we were in a place where we were predicting 25 million work items in our account. Right. Um, and that, you know, so to me sitting pretty at 11 million, I feel pretty great right now. Uh, and so it, it was this interesting push pull of, well, what is the archive policy for an agile tool set like this? And the answer is, well, you know, who needs an, who needs, uh, an archive policy and why would you need that? And well, if you're a massive software company and it is incredibly important that you keep a record and traces of what you've built and when you did it, uh, then you're going to need an archive strategy. It's been interesting seeing like that message is necessary and resonates with a certain set of Azure DevOps customers and doesn't resonate or matter at all to many others. Um, so it's a great example of one where it's like, here's a tool we built for this purpose do with it as you please. And it's been fascinating to hear how many customers use it to set up a test account, just to, you know, get teams into different places post Mm. reorg. Like it's had a multitude of uses we didn't intend or expect. And that's been, I think, a delightful thing about throwing it out on GitHub and seeing what the world could do with it. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, how long does it take to move 5 million work items? <laughs> Took us about a week. <laughs> wow. So the also is just like transactional integrity over that, like not breaking anything along the way. Yeah, we, you know, we have gotten, so now we do this regularly. We do it every six months. So it's far faster. We can do it, you know, overnight. Um, but it's, it, it is interesting to me that the biggest challenge with archive was not actually moving the items. It was letting everyone know that we were going to be moving the items. Right. Uh, because so much of the muscle memory and context and history and links, you know, we kept, we kept the items. They are now linked to from production to the archive. So you can still get at all of that history, but just getting the organization prepped and ready for this is going to be the place where we hold the things we're no longer keeping in production was months of work. Um, and so once we finally got the culture adjusted to the no, you know, in production is lean and mean, and then the archive is where we store things that are needed for historical record, then we could start doing it. Like we just did one this past weekend, for example. Um, so we could get to a better rhythm and could do it faster and with less drama. But the first one took a ton of planning time and uh, investment of resources to make mm. sure that everybody knew it was coming. Everybody knew how to operate post reorg that we you know, soft deleted first so we could see where people were relying on old data and we didn't realize it before we hard deleted everything to actually get the performance benefits. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome stuff. And just, yeah, not a normal space of problems. Uh, (laughs) We hadn't talked about this yet, but you fired over this link and I'm looking at it on the marketplace for the pull request merge conflict extension. Oh, that's one of my favorites. Did you work on this, Ed? No, I wish I had. It's so clever. Um, I talked to some <laughs> of the folks that did though. Um, yeah. So, you know, when you have a merge conflict, like when I open a pull request and I don't know, somebody else has changed the same file, the same line, yeah. we've got a, we've got a conflict, right? And what you normally mm-hmm. see, whether it, in almost any hosting provider, whether it's Azure repos or GitHub or whomever is, oh, you have a conflict, fix your conflict, you know, merge the, the master branch into your pull request branch fix the conflict and push, right? Um, what the merge conflict extension does is it lets you actually resolve the conflict in your browser. And that's not ideal for every situation, of course. Sometimes you get really complicated, really messy merge conflicts. Yeah, but it's damn convenient for those that are easy. Oh, it's the best. Yeah. yeah. I wish I thought of that. I wish I'd done it. I'm so jealous. You know, you asked me <laughs> if I'd done it. I'm like, no, I'm so sad. I wish I could take credit <laughs> for it. And, and just reading through it and going, oh, look, they're using Monaco under the hood. So VS Code shows up everywhere. 
it's it's so well done it's so well yeah. done i'm just i yeah i'm i'm incredibly in awe of that team i think that was almost entirely a team of windows developers and by windows i mean people on the windows uh team, team. i don't I don't think that we did much except give some extension points to that team. And they just went and did it and came back and were like, oh, hey, look at this. It's like, oh, wow, strong work. So <laughs> nice. Incredibly impressed. Yeah. What about the dependency tracker? That's our newest one. That's one that, you know, we put out again for organizations that are trying to keep track of large scale work. Um, and the work that other teams depend on to get their work done. Um, you know, you think about all the products we ship, like hardware and silicon and IoT, where, you know, teams are dependent on something happening in the kernel, in the fundamentals, in the platform. Um, and so having a way for teams to be able to track, like, I need this piece of work. I, you know, there's millions of work items. I care about 10 of them. How do I keep track of those? How do I know what their state is? How do I know when they're going to be delivered? How do I know when they're done? Um, that's what we use dependency tracker for. Mm -hmm. And it was one of when, when we were just talking about, here's how we work it in windows. You know, the whole goal originally was just share our story, tell folks how we do it. The number one request that I would get post those talks is, Hey, that tracker for how teams you know, connect their work between each other, the dependency track you talked about, is that something you're ever going to release? And it was a fascinating eye-opener for me if I did not realize that that would be a common request. I thought that that really would be very unique to the business we were in and particularly the business that Windows is in. Um, and so it was interesting hearing all the scenarios where people were like, no, 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 like we have teams that are dependent on, you know, these other teams delivering work ahead of us. We have to have a way to track it. We don't have any way to do that. How do you manage it? How do you do that? And so this is one of our newest extensions that we've released. Um, Actually, I should say it is the newest one we've released. Uh, and it was shocking to see how much folks were excited to get that and to put it into their accounts. And we've been actually thrilled because we put it first on the internal marketplace, you know, that one Microsoft message that right. uh, such has been pushing. And we had 11 different of the big accounts within Microsoft adopt it within the first couple of weeks of us pushing it out Wow, there. what a compliment. Yeah. Yeah, so it was interesting seeing like how much of an appetite there was, right? You know, you think about how much work Office needs Windows to do to light up Office scenarios, how much work um, HoloLens needs from the base of Windows to get the HoloLens product together. Uh, and so it was kind of it reward how much work Azure needs uh, to get, you know, from the Windows platform to service and support Azure. And so it was fascinating to see how many big accounts quickly adopted it so that they could use it to track both the work within windows and then the work within their own orgs. Yeah. Well, this is what project managers used to run around and do by hand. It seemed like the fact that you've, <laughs> you've kind of got the tool to, to pull that together for you, especially when the dependencies get this complex, make it make a huge difference. That was my favorite thing about it. I will tell you the, the genesis of this entire tool was I was sitting in a meeting where very fancy people with very important titles were bringing in spreadsheets of all the work that the teams across the division needed from them right. and getting yelled at about those spreadsheets because they were out of date. Because of course they were They're out of date. They're always out, out of date. date the minute you create them. Yeah. Um, and it was just this revelatory moment of like, this is Silly. Like, I know what all of the code in the system is. All of it is tracked with a work item. There is no reason why someone should be creating a bespoke spreadsheet to, you know, manually curate that list. That's insanity. And yeah. so it was this interesting project to work on to say, like, how do we solve that problem of people rolling in with spreadsheets and then getting yelled at? No, I love it. This is one I I can think of a few folks I've been working with. It was like, you should take a look at this. This this might make a difference to you. And free from the Visual Studio Marketplace too, right? Like, did you know it was there? That's, that's right. All, that's all I need to know. Yep. And and like I said, recent, September of 2018. So it's not been that long. The one odd duck in my mind, and I guess I need more explanation of this, is Mohit Bagra's work item form one-click actions. Because he moved the project around, and I found the VS extensions because it looks like literally a grab bag of things to make your life easier. 
Yeah, the, you know, the one quick one for us, so a little context that's, you know, a, a little embarrassing, we don't always talk about it externally, is uh, our forms are beyond mangled at this point. You know, when you have that many engineers with that many workflows and that many things we need to track, the fields, the number of fields, like our bugwit has over 250 fields on it. Um, And so the work item one click is about streamlining and simplifying that for anyone that installs it. And so concept is, you know, I sit down, I Jill sit down and I have a set of values for this myriad of fields, most of which I don't use, but the set I do, I, I use regularly. And I'm always filling in the same value and filling in that value. Every single time I enter the work item is soul crushing. Like it's the same value every time. Uh-huh. It's never going to change for me. It's always going to be that same set. Um, and, and it's different from me versus my peer, but sure. it's always the same for me. So just getting all that, you set it up once and just have it fill it in for you because it's specific to you doing your items. That's right. And I can create like a hundred of them. Like I, I can create them for any old workflow I want. And when we go look at power users of that extension, you know, we'll see fantastic things like uh, assign this to my PM will be the name of their click and it'll go fill in all the fields they need to get that work item off of their plate and onto their PM's plate or, you know, assign this to next release. And then it goes and flips all the widgets that it needs to flip so that it can go to the next release. And and again, it's a small thing, you know, put it on GitHub. Does anybody need it? I don't know. Um, But kind of this sharing is caring notion of just, it's a piece of, Intel of it's a piece of workflow that helps us. I have no idea whether or not it will help anybody else. It almost doesn't matter, right? right. The goal is just get it out there, share it. If people want it and find it useful, fantastic. If they don't, that's okay too. Um, but it solves a real problem for us, which sure. is it is super painful to have to fill in a form that many times with the same amount of values. And this makes it personalized and easy. I've certainly seen organizations that have gone deeply down the custom attribute line in like. <laughs> It's a path, and I'm not saying it's a good path. It's just a path, and and if you've gone yeah. there, if something could help you, that's pretty big deal. Like that, that that'll make a difference for folks. When it's such a funny problem because if you've seen folks who've gone down the rabbit hole, because we're 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 in the depths of that rabbit hole. Sure, it's tricky because it it's bad. I mean, you you can put a judgment on call on that. It's a bad place to be but it is inordinately difficult to undo yeah. uh, because what happens is a thousand different flowers bloom that all require one one hundredth of the fields, which leaves you in this spot where any one of them that you try and remove causes massive chaos for some tiny group in some part of the company. Mm. Um, and so we're still trying to tackle that problem by saying like, look, you know, All of this is cognitive overload for all of us because we're all in this together. Like, how do we solve it? But in the meantime, you know, we want to make our developers' lives easier. That's our primary goal. And this is a way where they can get around some of these, you know, Byzantine form fields that we've put out there. So I see a new tool in your future, the custom attribute form dependency tracker. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Where does this custom attribute get called from? Who uses it? Hmm. Sounds like a job for code lens. Yeah, there must be a way. Code lens for work items. There you go. There you go. <laughs> you heard it here first, kids. There you We're inventing things. <laughs> I just signed myself up for something, I think. No, I think you did. Yeah, I think you're hooked. No, but that's, I just did some math. I, I know this is shocking. For <laughs> but uh, so 33,000 people, one minute. If you save one minute with this extension, that's 23 person days of labor. Wow. Wow. That's yeah. insane. Just, I must not yeah. have done the math right. So, you know, somebody needs to double check me, but that's, that's an incredible number. Well, uh, guys, before we wrap up, we'll, uh, I want to ask you one at a time. What's next for you? Like, Ed, what are you working on these days that, uh, you is the next thing that, uh, you can talk about maybe on the next.net rocks. So what I've been doing a lot of lately is stepping a little bit away from Git and version control immediately and looking more at open source and how Microsoft can help open source communities and open source projects. And especially with Azure pipelines, Mm. you know, we've been giving away a lot of build minutes for open source. And so I want to see how we can continue to improve that. 
Very good. Jill, what's what's in your inbox? What we're working on right now um, is trying to find the simplest and most elegant way to interact with our account, given how big our account is. So one of the things we're hoping in the next six or seven months that we'll be able to share out more externally is a lightweight way to enter work items, manage pull requests, and you know, have all of that in a far lighter, easier, simpler UI um, that works seamlessly with Azure DevOps so that if you're someone whose account has been mangled beyond recognition, uh, you still have like the lightweight experience you were intended to have with Azure DevOps and we can you know, manage a lot of the complexity on the back end. So that's something we're, we're honing and working on right now. Very good. Well, guys, thank you very much for uh, spending this hour with us. It's it's really awesome to hear what's going on at Microsoft, and especially with the challenges that you guys have. It makes us mere mortals feel like, ah, this is nothing. We got this. We're fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. We're all yeah. fine. <laughs> Thanks again. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. And we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a